looking in Joshua 2. Joshua 10. I'm sorry. They sound a lot alike. Joshua 10. You may think, seeing the title of the sermon and knowing that I'm a southerner, it's about the Civil War. Or as they call it from where I'm from, the War of Northern Aggression. But this sermon is not at all about the Civil War. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you this evening for our hope is sure. Our faith is not in an empty thing. It is sure. It is guaranteed. By faith, the fathers before us have done great things because you were working in them and through them. Father, I pray that we would have faith to continue, to grow, to endure, to cling to the promises that you have given us. Even as we look at this passage this evening here in Joshua 10, and we see your great power, may we be strengthened in our faith. May we trust in you evermore. May we be encouraged to cling to the promises that you have given us. Even in the face of, of physical difficulty, even in the face of things that we don't understand, even when we feel and things look and it seems that we've been overcome, and yet we'll stand, and yet we'll trust. And even as we've just sung, we know that this mountain will be moved, whatever it be, for God is good and God will accomplish his purposes. And we will not be overcome. The gospel will prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. We pray all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Joshua 10. Faith over fear. One of the most powerful weapons in the world is faith. If you watch sports movies or documentaries, a lot of times they'll zero in on the scene uh, where, where the, the team is gathered in the room before the big game and the coach gives this big speech and it, it stirs them to victory it stirs them to to believe in themselves you can do this have faith one of my favorite sports movies is Hoosiers I don't know if you've ever seen the movie but there's a scene where this team from this little town in the middle of nowhere and Indiana has made it to the, to the state uh, finals, the state tournament. And so they're there in Indianapolis and they walk into the gym on Butler University and they walk into this massive gym. And you can see as they're walking in, that's just the awe. They're just, they are overcome. This is bigger than anything they've ever imagined, anything they've ever played in. And the coach walks out with a tape measure. He has one of the players stand under the basket and he backs up to the free throw line. He says, how long is it? And the player says, 15 feet. And then he has a player get up on the shoulders of another player and they measure how tall is the basket. 
10 feet. And he goes on to tell him, I guarantee you if we were to measure this entire court, that it would match our court at home. And what's his point? You can do this, right? Have faith in yourselves. You can do this. You've accomplished this before. Their uniforms might be nicer. Their gym might be bigger. But the basketball on the court is the same. Just stick to the fundamentals. You can do this. The problem, however, is that faith in yourself can only get you so far. What's important is to have faith in the right thing. And that's what we see this morning, this evening in Joshua 10. Joshua calls the children of Israel to have faith in God. Trust Him. He will fulfill His promises. Do not fear. Follow me in boldness, trusting God. And watch what He will do. As we work our way through this chapter, we'll see the battle, the victory, and the conquest. I'm going to start by reading it. It's a, it's a long chapter, 43 verses. So this might take us a while, but I think it's, it's good to read it. So we'll start Joshua 10. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it. As he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Then Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hohan, king of Hebron, Puram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains, have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azaka and, Maz- and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord, in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, so the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashir? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. 
And there's been no day like that before or after that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makkedah. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makkedah. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. Do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack the rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them, of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makedah in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out these kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the neck of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded. And they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which are there until this day. On that day Joshua took Makkadah, and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them and the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Makedah as he had done to the king of Jericho. And Joshua passed from Makedah and all Israel with him to Libna, and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. And Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish. And they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword according to all that had been done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish. And Joshua struck him and his people until he left none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon, and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that the Lord had done to Lachish. So Joshua went up from Eglon, and all Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it. And they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword, its king, all its cities, and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Debir, and they fought against it. And he took it and its king and all its cities, and they struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Debir its king, and he had done also to Libna and its king.
So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes. And all their kings he left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all the people with him to the camp at Gilgal. First thing we see here is the battle. The first 14 verses of Joshua chapter 10, the battle. What we have here at the beginning is these kings. King of Jerusalem and the king of these other places. King of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Debir, and the king of Eglon. The king of Eglon. And what these armies, these cities, these, these kings see, they're sitting together, and if you remember from the beginning of, of chapter 9, they formed this um, coalition against the people. They've been encouraged. They saw Joshua's defeat at Ai. So they get together, and they're making plans to attack. But what we see here at the beginning of Joshua chapter 10 is that Gibeon's covenant with Israel changes things. It spooks them. It scares them. When they see what Joshua had done to Ai, and then they see that Gibeon had made peace with Israel and, had, and were among them, then they feared greatly. Because Gibeon was a great city. One of the royal cities. It was a major city in the area. It had mighty men. And so they fear. And this covenant from Joshua 9 intensifies the coalition's fears and it speeds up their plans. So they get together and they're, they're coming to war. But what we find here in Joshua 10 is that their fear should not have been Israel and Gibeon. Their fear should have been the Lord. They place their fear in the wrong thing. I think it's clear from this passage that Joshua didn't need Gibeon. Joshua didn't even need an army. God didn't even need Joshua. But he chose to use them. So you have these five kings. You have their armies. And they come against the Gibeonites. Verse 6, the Gibeonites sent to Joshua and they say, we've made this covenant. Do not forsake us. Uphold your word. Come and defend us. Fight with us. And then we come to verse 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Put yourself in Joshua's shoes. How encouraging that had to be for hear from God. After the failure of Joshua chapter 9, after making a mistake, making a wrong step, not seeking the Lord, it had to be running through Joshua's mind. What is coming next? I saw what happened at Ai when we failed the Lord. What's going to happen now? Who's going to die? God comes to him. He says, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. 
How encouraging to know that the Lord is still with him. What encouraging, what encouragement to hear this phrase, I have delivered them into your hand. It's as good as over. You are victorious. I've delivered them into your hand. Verse 9, Joshua therefore came upon them subtly, having marched all night from Gilgal. I think verse 9 is important. I don't want to miss that. The distance from Gilgal to where they were at Gibeon was an uphill journey of approximately 15 miles. And they did it in one night with an army. They came up suddenly, having marched all night. What stands out to me in this passage, in this, in this verse here, is that jo- God encourages Joshua. He gives him a task. Go to war. I will be with you. I have delivered them into your hands. Now, I know myself, and if I were Joshua and God said that, I would look at the clock. I'll do it tomorrow. I've got the victory, right? God's promised it to me. I'll rest. My people will rest. They'll get a good hot meal. We'll get up in the morning. Maybe we'll split the journey into two days. We'll get there. We'll get the victory. God has promised it. That's not what Joshua does. When God gives him this encouragement, he says, Go, I am with you. I have given you the victory. What does Joshua do? He gets up immediately. He comes upon them suddenly. They were not expecting it. Just the day before, they had seen they're 15 miles downhill. We've got days. He gets up. He gets this army ready, and they march all night because God has given them a victory. They go and they claim the promise of God. God has promised them victory, and so Joshua is going to go, and he's going to take that victory. And what you see in in, in verse 10 is that God keeps his words. The Lord routed them before Israel. And notice there, who does it? It's the Lord. In fact, that's what you'll see as we work our way through Joshua 10. Every time there's a big victory, it says, the Lord did this. The Lord did this. It's not Joshua. It's not Gibeon. It's not their swords and spears. It's not their, their technology. It's the Lord. The Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road, struck them down. In fact, notice this in verse 11, and it happened as they fled before Israel, were on the descent. The Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstorms than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Not only does God give them the victory, He does most of the work for them. He does this supernatural work. He sends these stones from heaven. He wipes out the army before them. Truly, this is God's victory. But notice again, Verse 12. I know myself. And I know that if I had gotten to this battle, if I had, had seen this victory and we had routed them and God had sent these hailstorms and he had just devastated them, after marching all night, I would have let my men rest. I would have taken it easy. I would have plundered and done that kind of stuff. 
That's not what Joshua does. Joshua spoke to the Lord the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, sun stands still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. We are not done. God has given us the victory, and we're going to take the victory. And in fact, I don't have enough time in this day to do it. Sun stands still. In verse 13, so the sun stood still. That seems like a crazy request. That's a crazy prayer. What are you thinking, Joshua? Just rest. Let your men rest. Let them eat. Do it tomorrow. It's over. God's promised that he's already wiped them out. Just the stragglers that are left. But once again, God has promised a victory and Joshua is going to take that victory. There's still more work to do and Joshua is eager to get it done. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Until the word of the Lord had been fulfilled. Is this not written in the book just sure. It's a, probably a, uh, it appears in other sections of Scripture. It's probably uh, a book of songs about Israel's leaders and victory that they had kept. So the writer here is referring to that. You've, you've heard this story before. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. What's interesting is when you come to this, this miracle that has happened here, the sun standing still, People try to explain it away. There's all kinds of different explanations. Well, uh, it could have been an eclipse that lasted for a while and just God was cooling it for them so they could continue to battle in the coolness. Or it could have been this, or, or it could have been that. Why do we find it so hard to say that God could do what he said he did? Why is it so hard? to understand the God of the universe who created the world could have the sun stop if he so chose. I don't think we have to explain this away. Rather, I think we marvel at the God who's done this. I think verse 14, and there has been no day like that before it or after it. I mean, I think right there that explains that this is not simply an eclipse. It's just something unique that God has done, something special. In fact, the whole point of this is the extraordinary answer to Joshua's prayer. There's been no day like that before or after the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. It's an interesting phrase there. There's been no day like it where the Lord heeded the voice of a man. I don't want you to get this wrong. I don't want you to get the idea that, that Joshua was somehow controlling God. This is not a passage of name it and claim it. Right? If you will just tell God what to do, he will heed your voice. That's not what this is saying. Joshua's request here is not contrary to God's will. It's a big request. It's a surprising request, but it's not contrary to what God had promised. What had God promised? I will give you the victory. What is Joshua's prayer? You've promised me the victory. And we can get this done right now if you will stop the sun. It's a big request. It's a bold ask. 
but it's inside the promises of God. It, it meets the requirement. Joshua's not asking something contrary to what God is, to God's will. This is in line with God's promise. Joshua prays a big prayer. But it's a prayer that's in line with God's will. And so God answers it. Joshua knew that God had promised this victory. And he knew he could have that victory right now. And if God chose not to have the sun stand still, they would have gotten the victory tomorrow. But God, give us, let the sun stand still so we can get this now. And God does it. We see the battle, and then we see the victory. Verses 15 to 27, we have this scene with these kings who, get, who hide in this cave. So Joshua comes, and in verse 18, he says, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men to guard it. But you, yourselves, go. Pursue your enemies. You have a job to do. You have something to do. Go and do it. Let someone else guard it. You go and do what God has called you to do. Why? Why must you go and do it? Look at the end of verse 19. For the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. He's given them to you, so go and get them. So they go, and they get them, and they slaughter, and they have the victory. And they come back to this cave. And they get back to this cave, they, they open the cave, and they bring the kings out. You come to verse 24, So it was when they brought out these kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who were with him, Come near and put your feet on the necks of these kings. It's a sign of, of total defeat. A sign of complete domination. We have won the victory. Put your feet on their necks. And so they do. And then Joshua says this to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Who does that sound, what does that sound familiar to? That sounds exactly like what God has said to Joshua many times in Joshua. Joshua, don't be afraid. Just trust me. Put faith in me, Joshua. Believe that I will do what I've said that I will do. Joshua, like a good leader, is passing that truth onto, his, onto, onto those who are leading under him. They're standing there with their feet on the necks of their enemy. And Joshua says, look, look what God promised. He promised to give us this victory, and look where you're standing right now. He's given it. And so he will continue to give it to us. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Trust him, for he is a faithful God. Notice, the, the, your strength, your courage comes not from your strength, not from your own strength, not from your own military prowess, but from this fact that the Lord will do this to all your enemies. Your strength, your encouragement, your courage comes from your faith that God can do this, that God will do this as He promised. So Joshua kills them. 
They face, they're utterly defeated. And then what they do is they put them back in the cave and they cover it again with stones. And this last part here in verse 27, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this day. This is about the fifth time that we've heard that phrase in Joshua, remains until this day. Just take a, a second to notice the importance of remembering what the Lord has done. Already in Joshua, at least five times, crossing the river, taking Jericho, taking Ai. They've set up these monuments for the purpose of remembering what God has done, for the purpose of teaching it to the next generation what God has done. I mean, no, right here, the importance of remembering. Do not forget. Do this. And trust me, but don't forget what I've done. Remember, every time you walk this way, every time you pass this cave and you see those stones, you will remember what I've done. Every time you walk by the Jordan and you see those stones, you will remember what I've done. So trust me. And don't forget what I've done. Verses 28 to 43, the rest of the chapter, we have the conquest. From that point, having the victory, they go on. And they take all these other cities. Joshua took Makeda and struck it and his king with the edge of the sword. In verse 29, Joshua went from there and all these were with him to Libna. The Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. It goes on. Joshua passed from Libna to Lachish and the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel. Verse 33, then Horam, king of Gezir, came to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people. Verse 34, from Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon, and they took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. Verse 36, all Israel with him to Hebron, and they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword. Verse 38, Joshua returned all Israel with him to Debir, and he took it and its king and all its cities. In verse 40, so Joshua conquered all the land. The mountain country and the south and the lowlands and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen even as far as Gibeon. In verse 42, this is the key to the entire chapter, all these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. That's the key to this entire chapter. Every victory that they face is God's victory. It's because he fought for them. It's because they chose to trust him, to obey him, to follow him. As we come to the end of this chapter, and then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Gilgal. Finally, they return and they rest. God has done what he's promised. They've conquered the, the southern portion. They've taken. They're halfway there. They see the promises of God getting fulfilled. It's exciting. And they return and they rest.
I think this passage, though, is an encouragement to us. Because, you see, we, we don't fight armies. There's not cities around us looking to destroy us. We don't fight physical armies, but we do fight. We have an enemy who's around like a roaring lion. We face face principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. We do have an enemy. We are in a fight. But by faith in Christ, our enemy is all bark and no bite. By faith in Christ, we can claim the victory, just like Joshua and the people did. God gave them a promise, and they took hold of that. And they didn't sit around, and they didn't wait, and they didn't do it at their own pace. God gave them a promise, called them to go, and they got up, and they went. And they fought. And they followed, and they won the victory because they had faith. Second Corinthians 5 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Philippians 4 says, don't worry, pray. Similar idea, don't, don't fear. Just trust me. Just pray. Bring your requests to me. Romans 8, 828, a passage we often go to. God is working all things for your good. He's working to sanctify you, to finish in you what he promised he would do, what he's begun. And he's working everything in your life to complete that in you. It goes on to verses 37 and 39 where we're, we're told that we are more than conquerors, that nothing separates us from the love of Christ. These are promises that we can cling to. That we can get up and we can go. And when we face physical troubles, when we have cause to worry, we don't worry. We trust. We choose faith over fear. When we choose to fear, we are giving victory to our enemy. Choose faith. Trust God. He's a faithful God. He will fulfill His promises. And there may not be a day where you stand over your enemy with your foot on his neck and you say, God is good. But there will be a day when Christ will come back and those who are dead will rise first and we will, we will join in heaven and we will glorify our God and we will all together say, God is good. He has done what he has promised. He has fulfilled his word. And so choose faith over fear. That's what the Israelites did here. I love working through Joshua because in Joshua, for the most part, they're really good. Compared to most other, but compared to our general view of the Israelites, they're trusting God. They're following. They're seeing the victory like God promised. And we can too if we will simply 
Trust him. Choose faith over fear. We're going to close with the